0: friends. How how is everybody doing? Uh, I heard the word dandy. I haven't heard that in a while. That's awesome. (laughs) Hey, before we get started, I I just can't help but um, just say, you know, our choir has been working for weeks and weeks and weeks to uh, get ready for the Christmas season. The band's been working really hard. Yesterday, there was a dress rehearsal for uh, Christmas Eve in two days. So can we just say thanks for the artists and the singers in our midst? (laughs) I don't know about you, but the way I see it is they were on fire today. I'm going to amend that. They were on fire today. That's how good it was. Okay. Uh, I'm Larry. I'm one of the pastors here. And I've mentioned before that when I was a kid, my parents would, they worked in this factory about a half hour away. Uh, And they worked all day long, like six in the morning to six at night. And so I found myself home alone uh, most of the day. Now, if you're adventurous like me, that's a, a recipe for disaster because I'm going to get into something, right? Well, we didn't have cable. This is going to date me. I'm going to say some things that are going to date me. But we didn't have cable. We didn't have satellite. I didn't have a Nintendo. And so the only thing I could do outside of being outside was to watch uh, TV during the day with three channels that our antenna would pick up. Now, for those of you who don't know what an antenna is, it's basically a lightning rod with arms on top of your house. And ours had this motor, and there was a little box in the house. You guys know what I'm talking about? The little dial, and you turn it. If, the, if you don't get a good picture, you turn the dial, and the, the little antlers turn. Oh, we can see it now. It's blurry, but we can kind of see it. And so, in those days, there were three things on TV that this little Larry found himself able to view. Number one, game shows. So, watch lots of game shows. Number two, talk shows. And finally, soap operas. And I'm somewhat ashamed to admit that I became addicted to talk shows and soap operas at like 11 years old. One thing was similar. If you've ever seen those sorts of things, they always left on a cliffhanger, didn't they? You don't solve the puzzle at commercial. No, 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 no. You leave them hanging so they want to come back from the commercial. And in those days, you're watching and then the commercial comes on and it's like 80 decibels louder than the thing. And you're just going, shut up. I want to know what happened to so-and-so. I watched uh, Phil Donahue, Uh, I watched Oprah, I watched a guy named Maury Povett, Um, I watched uh, General Hospital and All My Children, those were my addictive tendencies, you guys are laughing because you've watched these too, see, we're all addicts, we have Celebrate Recovery on Tuesday nights, Hurts Habits Hang-Ups, you could go. So I got into them and I watched them like every day. And, and right before the commercial, whether it was a talk show uh, or a soap opera, some big news got dropped on someone. On a soap opera, it was often a woman looking at a man and she'd say, I'm pregnant. And guess what? It either was or was not his baby. And then the camera, after someone received this news, the camera would go tight on the person receiving the news and hold for like 15 seconds. And they would contort their face every which way, trying to act like, oh, I'm taking, and this weird, dramatic music came up uh, to illustrate that they were wrestling with the news. Uh, A few years ago, my wife and I got addicted to a show called 24. Any 24 fans? Jack Bauer? One night, we were binge watching in the days when we had Netflix, and they would send you a DVD, and you would have five episodes, and we're only going to watch one. And you'd watch one, let's just watch one more. 3 a.m., let's do the last one so we can get the DVD in the mail and get it to come back, right? And one night we were watching and I realized, oh my gosh, 24 is a soap opera. It totally is. Listen, I hate to burst your bubble, Lost is a soap opera. It's got all the elements, the big dramatic thing right before it happens. It sounds kind of funny, but most of us have had moments in our lives where we have unexpected news, or we're going in a particular direction and something happens to redirect our path. And I would say, thank goodness that for most of us, those aren't recorded and on national television for all of us to see. We're in the fourth and final week of Advent. You can see we have four candles. And on Tuesday night at Christmas Eve, we're going to light the Christ candle uh, to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And Advent is that time of the year in between the resurrection and ascension of Jesus and his coming return. How many of you know that Jesus is coming back? Okay, he's coming back. And so the church lives in that tension between those two places. Now, the first two weeks were somewhat heavy passages. I got those passages. That was a lot of fun. Then last week, I gave Dan the fun, easy passage. We shifted gears just a little bit, and we started preparing our hearts for What's coming on Tuesday, which is the incarnation, the coming of the Messiah, and Advent. And now, we find ourselves two two days away from Christmas Eve, which, by the way, I'm really excited about. We've been talking about what songs we're singing, what you guys saw today was like a, a sneak preview of what you're gonna get Tuesday. So please come and invite your friends. This is this is probably outside of Easter the best opportunity to invite someone to church who doesn't ordinarily go to church. People, for whatever reason in our culture, they feel like, well, I should go to church, at least on Christmas and Easter. So please take that opportunity and invite people, because we are going to talk about Jesus very clearly, and we're going to talk about the light of Christ as the light of the world, and it's, I think it's going to be powerful. So this fourth Sunday of Advent, we're going to turn the page uh, in this story and we're going to go back and look at behind the scenes of Jesus' impending arrival, his, his birth for the first time. So if you have your Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at verses 18 through 25. And thank you, hunters, for, for reading the gospel passage for us today. Now, unlike the Lucan account that shows the lineage of Jesus through Mary, this account traces the descendants of Abraham and David and the Davidic line uh, to, to show that Jesus is in the line of the Davidic king through Jesus. And legally in that day, although we know that Joseph wasn't by blood his father, legally he was. And so, um, so in multiple ways, Jesus was the long-awaited king. So imagine to first century hearers hearing about his lineage and reading about this or someone getting up and reading it. And, and then you turn, you, so he's, he is the Davidic king. It just seems like all signs are pointing that way. And then you turn the page and, and then you see this account of Mary becoming pregnant. And it wasn't what they expected, was it? I mean, it's kind of wild when you read that story. In this account, it's not the warm and fuzzy, he's in the manger and he's you know swaddled up in clothes and all that kind of stuff. No, it reads a little bit like a soap opera, doesn't it? With unexpected news, and there's a, a decision to make, and an angelic visit, and a fulfillment of an ancient prophecy, and it's got all of those key elements in the story. It sounds like Lord of the Rings, or Game of the Thrones, or Harry Potter, or one of those dramatic sort of storylines. Yet, as we heard a moment ago, the scriptures that we're looking at today, it's the account of Joseph contending with the fact that Mary, this woman that he's engaged to, becomes pregnant. And guess what? And just like in a soap opera, it's not his baby. Dun dun dun. <laughs> this is the part where the camera goes to Joseph and he contorts his face, going, What's happening? And I think it's so cool that God has preserved for us in scripture a, a behind-the-scenes look at real life, friends. This isn't fairy tale, this isn't just some story someone made up. We believe that this gospel telling is true, don't we? So this is real life, and it's really messy. I mean, if you think you have some crazy family of origin stuff, you should feel that it's okay because Jesus did too. So he's in the same boat as us. Now, I think that we're going to see today that there are often interruptions in our lives and and that God has been, even in the midst of those interruptions, orchestrating things behind the scenes, and it's rooted fully in his love. And, And that if we will look for Messiah in the midst of that season of waiting, if we look for Messiah... All things are going to work out for good. So let's dive in. I'm going to walk us through the text, and, uh, and then I want to point out some observations along the way. Let's we'll start in verse 18. So this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So to really grasp what's happening here, we have to peel back the curtain a little bit deeper than that and understand a little bit about first century culture. What was it like in ancient Near East? And we see that Joseph and Mary were pledged to be married. What does that sound like? It sounds like they were engaged. Well, it's a bit different than engagement in our day and time. Because in those days, often those kinds of marriages were arranged. Mom and dad said, this is going to work out. They make a deal. And and that's how it happened. Mary was probably between 12 and 16 years of age. That sounds pretty young, doesn't it? Is anyone in here 12 right now? Is anyone 13 right there? Could you imagine getting married right now? How about your dad? Could you imagine him getting married right now? Yeah, I don't think so. Joseph was probably between 18 and 20 years of age. So could you imagine if your parents uh, doing an arranged marriage with a 20-year-old man and a 12-year-old girl? That's what happened. So in those days, it was arranged by their parents, and the idea of engagement really had two parts. It had the engagement arrangement itself, and then it had the marriage. And, and the engagement was where they were officially committed. It's, it's uh, unlike in our culture where we say, well, we just called off the engagement. Have you known someone that called off their engagement? That does happen sometimes. Well, in that culture, um, that would be considered actually a divorce. In fact, if either partner in the engagement passed away while they were engaged, the partner that was remaining would be called a widow or a widower. So it was a little bit different than our version of engagement. So, so needless to say, uh, they took being pledged to marry almost as if they were married. Are you with me? So engagement lasted about a year, and during that time, especially in the region of Galilee, uh, personal privacy between the couple was frowned upon, which means they didn't really spend time alone. So now you have this arranged marriage with this girl and this man, and they haven't really got to spend a lot of time together, but they're, they're engaged. Imagine that, being forced to become engaged to someone you might not know that well and not being able to hang out with them until you're married. I don't like that idea. I don't know about you. Uh, for some of you uh, adventurous types, you're like, that's pretty cool. Uh, not for me. So Joseph finds himself in this pretty weird situation because this, this woman he's pledged to marry, or this girl, really, uh, she became pregnant through the Holy Spirit. And what we don't have is a record of their conversation. I mean, I wish the scriptures recorded Mary sitting Joseph down, hey, I got something to tell you. Um, it might have been like uh, Joseph saying, hey, Mary... Um, you've been on keto for quite a while, so I'm confused why there's now a little bump on your belly. Like, what's going on? And Mary says, what? All this? She looks down, and she says, funny story. Uh, Yeah, I'm with a child, but it's the Holy Spirit's baby. Now, if we're honest, and we put ourselves in Joseph's shoes, that sounds a little bit bananas, How many women do you think have tried this on their husbands throughout the centuries? It's in the Bible, like, hey, I'm pregnant, but it's the Holy Spirit's baby. So it sounds like a Maury Povich episode, right? Holy Spirit, you are the father, okay? We've got the results. Now, it would be natural in those days when this happened to assume that Mary had been unfaithful, and this presented a real problem for Joseph because he followed God. Joseph was faithful to the law. He honored the Lord, and the scriptures were clear about what what to do. And it was clear that in the case of infidelity, he could divorce her. Or even worse, she could be sentenced to death by stoning. Now, that wasn't real common in that time, but it still was possible. What do you do when you're trying to do the right thing, when you're trying to walk the right path, and the curveball gets thrown in your face? Look at verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. See, he was doing his best to follow the law. And the law did allow uh, a quiet divorce. He knew what the law said, but he really only had two options here. Option number one, he could go public with this. He could put it on Facebook. You'll never believe what Mary told me today. He could tweet it out. He could send emails. He could put it on YouTube. or Make it a really big deal. The bottom line is he could publicly shame her and explain the consequences of, of this sin that he believed that maybe she engaged in. The other option, instead of making it loud and orienting it in shame, was to be filled with mercy and to divorce her quietly. And so what we have that, they didn't at the time, is the the benefit of hindsight, right? We've read this story a lot of times. We kind of know what happened. And we see that Joseph was a good guy. But imagine how it must have felt at that time. I mean, he was in this season of waiting. He was excited. He had this beautiful girl that was going to be his wife. And think of all the dreams that he had, the children they were going to have, what type of home they were going to have, what their life together was going to look like, all those sorts of things. And then this bombshell Gets dropped on him. And his dreams come crashing down. Starting a family, becoming a father, all of his plans that he had laid out in his mind, and then it all got interrupted. You know, maybe I would venture to guess most of us have felt that way that you're going down a path and things seem to be okay, and then bam, the bottom falls out and things interrupt what's happening in your life. You know, maybe. You were looking forward to a dream to come true that you you 've dreamed about for years. you know several years ago, my cousin Melissa, um, she and her husband built this brand new house, and they were almost done with this house. It was a nice house, um, and the, literally the only thing left to do outside of Saad and the driveway was to uh, to the, the cabinets were custom built and so they had to stain these cabinets. And so the contractors came in and they stained the cabinets and they had to wait like two or three days for all the fumes and stuff to dissipate. And then they got to get this house. Later that night, Melissa got a call from her neighbor and she said, your house is on fire. Their brand new house. And she and her husband walked, drove over there and stood there and watched their house burn to the ground. You know, apparently the the rags that the contractors use to stain, they put them in these buckets, which are enclosed. And in Oklahoma, you might not know this, it's hot in the summer. I mean, I once saw a zebra run by looking for his home. I mean, it was hot there. And so those fumes combusted, and they lost their dream. And I think we've all had those moments of waiting for something good and experiencing massive loss and disappointment along the way. And we've got to remember that just because we're reading something in the scriptures, it doesn't mean that they're not human. Do you know that Joseph was human? Joseph had emotions. Joseph had feelings. And so we see the scripture and it's almost like he just thought about it briefly and he moved on. But I can guarantee you that's not the case. He had to wrestle with his disappointment in his doubt, in his fear, in his confusion of why this was happening. But I also think one thing that's beautiful about this passage is that we see a clear depiction of God's character through Joseph. That Joseph loved Mary. And when things don't go right in a marriage or in a relationship, you don't just walk away. Now, I'm not saying there aren't times that you do, but I'm saying he loved her and could have nailed her to the wall publicly over this. But instead... He showed this Christ-like character of mercy to her, and we get to read about it almost 2,000 years later. You see, we see an important lesson about who God is, and I want, you to, I want you to write this down, and I want you to think about it. God's faithfulness and his mercy are always on display. Now, life might be messy, and we might not see it. Your marriage might be going into the pot. And it might not last. Your relationships might be strained. Your business might be struggling. Things at work might not be going well. But I can promise you that in the midst of the fog of all of those things, God's faithfulness and his mercy are always on display. And I think that's really, really good news. And I want to ask you, think about a time that you deserve the opposite of mercy, but God gave it to you and protected you along the way. I think we see something beautiful that, that Joseph considered Mary and decided to honor her even though it must have been really hard. But uh, as God has a tendency to do, even in the midst of interruptions and when things are hard, God shows up and intervenes in a powerful way. Verse 20, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, if you've read the scriptures much, for those of you who haven't, I want to tell you that a lot of times the angels do appear to humans. And what do angels typically say when they show up to humans? Fear not. not. Don't be afraid. Why would they say that? If you're laying in bed, binge-watching 24, the soap opera on Netflix... And a a large angelic being appears in your room. What do you think? Would you instantly be like, oh, neat, it's an angel in my room. No, you would freak out. You would be scared. That's why they said, hey, don't freak out. But what I want you to see is something different here. I mean, instead of saying, don't be afraid of me, that's basically what angels usually are saying, right? This one said, don't be afraid to what? To take Mary home as your wife. What he's saying is, don't be afraid to go through the marriage and trust that what she said was true. Don't be afraid to listen to what she said. Don't be afraid to be obedient to God, even though this moment is confusing and it seems like this is weird and out there, even though it doesn't make sense. The angel is saying, don't be afraid to do what God is calling you to do. And he affirmed what Mary had said, that, that this child was from the Holy Spirit, meaning this interruption... This interruption that you feel for all your hopes and your dreams and your plans is a God interruption. So don't be afraid to let your plans shift. And I think for most of us, that's pretty tough to let outside interruptions happen, is it? I, I once performed a wedding and the bride arrives in a limo. And literally until the moment she got out of the car to walk down the aisle, She was on a walkie-talkie calling the shots, and go, and go, and ring bearer, and flowers, and that is controlling. That's Bridezilla right there. And I could hear the wedding planner. I could hear the, and I'm going, this is bananas. I I wanted to look at the husband and go, I'm really sorry, man. There's there's still time to bail. Uh, But I didn't. Actually, she's a sweet person, but she wanted to control that wedding. And most of us do, don't we? We want to control the things in our life because it's predictable. It feels safe. Um, But those seasons where we're waiting for God to show up, and sometimes he provides a a divine interruption. And it it inevitably changes the game, and it requires us to trust. And control and trust, sometimes they don't equal one another. Sometimes you have to go... This is why a lot of times when we say, we ask you to do a a practice of holding your hands open like this. Please do this with me. You know why we do this? Because it's a sign that I'm not holding tightly to everything. I'm literally doing a physical posture to model that I'm releasing control. Listen to the words of Proverbs. Uh, I love this verse, 16.9. It says, a person plans his course, but the Lord Directs his steps. How many times have you made a plan that sounds right and God redirects it for some reason? Anybody? Yeah, that happens all the time. You see, Joseph, just like us, he had plotted his course, but God redirected his course. He had this beautiful fiancé, this beautiful future, but then he has a beautiful fiancé who's pregnant with God's baby. And imagine him going, well, how am I going to explain this to my friends? Right? But God shifted those plans. He didn't just uh, leave him in the dust. He met with Joseph. God sent this angel to intervene and say, Joseph, I am redirecting you, but this is from me and go this direction. And this child in this belly, this unseen but present child, his name was what? Jesus. You know, Jesus, uh, you might not know this, but Jesus was actually a really common name in the first century. It's not like Jesus was the only name Jesus. It was lots of boys in that day and age were named Jesus because Jesus means God saves. And people were oppressed. Remember, we talked about all through this series, people lived in an occupied territory. The land was not their own. They were ruled and reigned by the Romans. Um, They had all kinds of oppression and really high taxes and all these sorts of things, and they hadn't heard from God in hundreds of years. And so people were naming almost prophetically their children Jesus, meaning God saves. God saves. Us. There was this this naming that was almost like pleading with God to interrupt. And Jesus is is really the Greek rendering of the Hebrew name Joshua or Yeshua or Yahweh, which literally means God saves. So, so Joseph is instructed to name this boy. And he could legally be his, even though Jesus wasn't biologically his child. And it's a name that reflects the hope of that time. And I would submit it's a name that reflects the hope of our time, isn't it? When we think about this world that we live in and the chaos and craziness that we sometimes see around us, when we say the name Jesus, we are calling out, God, God saves. Those hurting friends that were really hard for them or maybe for you. The name Jesus, call upon the name of the Lord. What does the scripture say? Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Jesus is God saves. How powerful is it to have God give the name of this child and to know that God was gonna use this child to save people from their sins. So in the midst of a messy story, we see that we get the benefit of seeing the story arc that God, even through this name, is saying something so theological, so significant, that applies to all of us, that has an impact for for us on all of eternity. See, we can rest assured that whenever divine interruptions happen, and they will, God will redirect you. When you have little children sometimes and they're walking and they try to stray you, grab their head and turn them the right way and they go with you. God does that to us. No, no, no. This is the path I have for you. It's not what you thought it was. You can rest assured that those divine redirections, even when uh, the intention behind what we set out to do was even good. I'm not saying that we go in a path that's sinister or bad. Sometimes we have really good motives, but sometimes God interrupts. And even then, we can can rest assured that God's redirection Or interruption is always for his glory. It's always for his good purpose, even when we can't see it at the time. And I don't know about you, but I often don't see it at the time. Often God tells me to do something and directs me. and I go a path and I'm like, this feels really weird, but okay. And then later it all rolls out and I finally am able to see it. Now, Matthew kind of pauses the story at this point, and just like in my favorite comedy sitcom, The Office, if you've seen The Office, they look at the camera. This is a look at the camera moment where Matthew breaks from the story for just a moment and looks at the camera to give us some insight into what's really happening here. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to his son, and they will call him what? Emmanuel, which means... God with us. This comes from the seventh chapter of the book of Isaiah, and that Old Testament prophet. And Isaiah is filled with lots of scriptures that now, with, with hindsight, we're able to look and see, talk a lot about Jesus, the coming Messiah. But, but it was also um, talking, the Lord was talking to Ahaz about two kings who had come to stand up against him. And he basically said that a sign that God was about to move was that a young woman would conceive and give birth to son, And we don't know if it was Isaiah's wife or Ahaz's wife. We, we don't know who it was. But basically what God was saying to him, he was promising him, by the time this child exits the womb and is old enough to know the difference between right or wrong. So maybe around three years' time from the time he said that, that the oppressive kingdom was going to be destroyed. See, God saves, right? So it had a now and not yet aspect to it. it he was literally talking about something that would happen, but he was also foreshadowing something that would happen hundreds of years in the future when a virgin would conceive a child, and they would call him Emmanuel. Now, we don't see in the New Testament record that they ever really called him uh, Emmanuel, but the literal meaning of Emmanuel is God with us. Powerful words, God with us. And and as we look together on Christmas Eve, we're going to go through the first Uh, part of John chapter one, and we're gonna see that Jesus was literally the fulfillment of Emmanuel, God with us. And so it's like Matthew's pulling his audience aside and saying, listen, this is credible. What you're hearing here, this is credible. The, The story is the literal fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah, who you know and have respect for. Matthew's writing to a Jewish audience, and he's telling them, hey, this thing that you've been longing for, I'm writing about it here, it happened. Because the prophecy that happened 700 years ago has come to pass now, and you need to, to pay attention. And so, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, we see something really powerful, and, and that's this soon to be baby uh, has two names ascribed to him in this passage. One is Jesus, and which means God saves. And this is about what God does. What does God do? God saves. And then the other thing we learn in this passage is that, is that God, uh, his name is Emmanuel, which is God with us. And this is about who God is. God is present with us. He saves us and he oppre- he's present with us. And I would say for hurting oppressed people who, who felt forgotten what good news it must have been to hear these words and to know that God will save you. That God is with you, that, that He will be with you. And, and I would say, for us as a church who's joining with millions uh, literally of other Christians who are reading this exact same passage today, as we prepare our hearts for Christmas, it's good news for us. What? God saves us and God is with us. Would you say that with me? God saves us and God is with us. Amen. We all need this reminder that when we're waiting and moving forward with our plans uh, and God interrupts, that number one, God's very nature is to save. In the midst of the chaos of life shifting for you, you just need to know that God's very nature is to save. He gave his son the name Jesus, which literally means uh, God saves. So it's God's responsibility in every season of your life to protect you, to care for you. To save you. So when God starts saying it's time to shift, and that's what waiting in Advent often is, you don't have to feel like all the pressure is on you, friends. The name of Jesus means God saves. It's his responsibility. The second thing I want you to hear loud and clear is that God's very nature is to be with you. His presence is with you. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us through the good times and the bad. And both of those things, God saves and God is with us is really, really good news. And that is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So finally, Joseph had been deliberating what to do, and this, this angel came to him in a dream to tell him not to be afraid to follow God, to, to follow God's good and perfect plan. And before we go on, I will tell you, that this, you might think this sounds bananas, like God could really speak to somebody through a dream. You know, our former lead pastor had a dream before he came here that he drove up to this church that was in a strip mall that had tons of fake plants, And when he pulled up to the strip mall to do his interviewing to check it out, there were tons of what? Fake plants. Uh, A little over a year ago, a friend of many of ours passed away suddenly. And one night I had a dream that he came to me and he said, I need you to uh, go to my wife and make sure she's told my friend Paul uh, that I passed away. And I mean, it was as literally vivid as you right here, right now. And I sat on it for two days because she's in the middle of grief, and I'm like, the last thing I want to do is to call her with this crazy, you know, outlandish story. But I, I wrestled with it for two days, and I felt like, I just got to tell her. And so I called her, and I just said, this is going to sound crazy, but I just have to tell you. And she, she thought on it. She said, that name doesn't ring a bell. I don't know what you're talking about. And two days later, I was here, actually. I was playing bass that next weekend, uh, and um, we were at band rehearsal, and I saw that I got a call from her, and I, I listened to it, and it said, call me immediately. I know who Paul is. And it was, she had remembered it was an old army friend of his who had been traveled around the world and, and they hadn't talked to him in years. And so she got a hold of him to let him know that, that Tim had passed away. I believe the Holy Spirit spoke to me through a dream. I don't know all the mechanics. I can't explain the theology of that. But I will just tell you uh, that, that God, I think, used that in kind of a crazy way. And, and I believe that the Bible has many stories of God using dreams to speak to people. And here's, here's kind of the last big thing I want to say. Sometimes God speaks to us in the most unexpected of ways. Sometimes God speaks to us in ways that we're not expecting. Sometimes as we're, mating, or we're waiting, we miss what God is doing right in front of us because we're expecting something different. Sometimes we expect God to speak in a, a very particu- particular way, and God is over here like in a still, small voice telling us or t- directing us or, or guiding us, and we're missing it because our expectations are elsewhere. Listen, a whole nation missed the birth of the Messiah and the, the reality of God with them because they were looking for a king who would overthrow Rome. And as Tom said so eloquently earlier, Jesus came to the underpass. He came to the manger in completely unexpected ways. But that is how God chose to move, and it interrupted all of history and all of eternity. So let's see what happens when Joseph woke up. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to his son, And he gave him the name Jesus. And so listen, Joseph had a plan. It was interrupted. An angel met with him and redirected him. And then we see that Joseph did exactly what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And out of love, which is the, the heart of the Savior, he took Mary home as his wife. But he didn't sleep with her until after the birth of Jesus. And in the ancient Near East, it was frowned upon to have sexual relations while the, the female was pregnant. So even after all of this, after the, the assurance that this was all from the Holy Spirit, Joseph went above and beyond to honor his wife Mary. Which again, I think is a picture of the grace and the mercy and the love of God that we've heard about. So I want to leave us with just three quick observations from this text. Number one, God saves us, and God is with us. And even if life is going really well for you right now, think on those words. That's why we follow Jesus. That is the the good news, the heart of the gospel. God saves, and God is with us. The second, God's redirection is always for the best. You might not feel like it right now. It might feel scary. It might feel in this season of waiting, whatever that is for you, that that his redirection is always for the best. I don't know why Jesus hasn't returned yet. I wish I could tell you. I don't know. But I can tell you that his plan is perfect. We don't have the knowledge of exactly how that's happening or what, but I can tell you his redirection is always for the best. Last thing, Joseph. Joseph. I love this about Joseph, that Joseph shows us how to be filled with truth, but also to be filled with grace and mercy. Joseph was a man of the book, but he also had the heart of Jesus, the heart of God, and he treated her with dignity and respect and mercy. And that is the way that God treats all of us too. Who's with me? So as we get ready to turn the page into Christmas, we get to see some behind the scenes of Joseph and how Jesus came about in the wrestling that happened before the incarnation. And I think it's really important we do that before we turn the page in two days, and we're gonna go all out celebrating the glory of the resurrection. We also get to see that the birth of Jesus was messy. I wanna encourage all of us as we turn toward Christmas to look expectantly toward this Jesus that I'm proclaiming to you today, to wait for him, to allow him to redirect you, to trust that he has and will do great things in you, and for you, and through you. And maybe, for some of us today, we need to embrace that God saves and God is with you. Maybe you need to accept God's redirection. Maybe God's trying to redirect you, and you are resisting. Stop. Go in the path that he's laid out for you. And maybe, for some of us, maybe you need to show grace and mercy to someone you've only been expressing truth to. Maybe you've been just telling somebody how it is with zero amount of grace and mercy. That's not the heart of the Father. So wherever that is for you, I want you to think on that. Let's pray. Jesus, I am thrilled that in two days we get to make much of your name. I'm so thrilled, too, that in the waiting, you are with us, that you save. Lord, for those today who just need to hear from you, would you speak to them clearly? Lord, would you help us to embrace that you save and that you're with us, to experience you fully in this season? And Lord, would you help us to, for those of us who are struggling to be redirected, would you help us to just stop resisting and trying to control everything? For those of us who are, really keen on sharing truth, but not mercy and grace, would you redirect us to let the fruit of the Spirit flow in and through us? We pray for your mercy, your grace, and your truth. And we're excited to worship you, great, great King. And we ask this in the strong, powerful name of Jesus. And together this church said, amen. Amen. Amen.